Okay. Right, good. Uh, so, Chris, Chris Lord, welcome back to Paul M. Bradley's Psychic Cafe. Mm, good to be here, Paul. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Uh, no problem. Yeah, always a pleasure. No problems at all. Uh, well, first off, I just want to congratulate you for becoming a, uh, what was it, a certified mindfulness instructor? <laughs> yes, I have my certification now, uh, although I've been teaching mindfulness and various forms of meditation for uh, about 13 years now. Um, I do, uh, I am finally official. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, which is good. Oh, it's... Yeah. yeah, it feels good. Um, in this day and age, there's so many places that are looking for the piece of paper, you know, mm. and um, just to have it in the back pocket and to be able to present it when I'm asked uh, for credentials um, is good, is good. And the program that I took was, was really quite extraordinary, I have to say. Um, yeah, it was really well done. It was um, offered by uh, a senior acharya, a senior meditation teacher named Fleet Mall, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for. And uh, he had a lot of uh, guest facilitators as well that were all uh, very, very good. So, oh, brilliant. Good what did you have to do, mm. just out of curiosity? Because I, I, I'm just mm. imagining, uh, you know, sitting in a, in a room, you know, meditating, and then, you know, suddenly someone thinks, oh, that's a nice shirt they've got on. Oh, no, damn it! No! <laughs> <laughs> well... So yeah, I can explain. You want me to kind of give the outline of the program? Yeah, I'd be, I just um, I'm just really I'd be happy interested to do that. Yeah, just before we get yeah, to the main sure, sure. source of the the podcast. Sure. Yeah. No, it's great, and and uh, as you mentioned, I've just kind of completed it, so it is kind of uh, fresh in my mind, uh, which is always good because other other things that are in the background is, is might take a while to retrieve. So, <laughs> so this is good, a good place to start. Uh, so yeah, it's it was offered through Fleet Mall and Engaged Mindfulness Institute. Uh, Engaged Mindfulness is um, a trauma-informed program. Uh, so their emphasis is on serving uh, underprivileged communities. Uh, Fleet Mall himself is kind of renowned for creating the first uh, prison mindfulness network. Uh, so he, he created uh, groups to go into prisons and offer uh, mindfulness meditation and self-compassion meditation. Uh, now it's in every state in America. All 50 states have uh, a chapter. Uh, so that's quite extraordinary. Uh, and that's the type of work that I've been trained to do now is to go into, you know, whether it's in prisons or hospitals or hospice care, or I do a lot of work in recovery as well. Uh, which I've been doing before I got certified, but now um, uh, the program really gave me a, a deeper insight into that work, honestly. So we started in September of 2021 with a seven-day silent retreat uh, facilitated by Fleet and, and a couple of his co-facilitators. And then we uh, went right into the curriculum. We studied the four foundations of mindfulness, which are it's a traditional Buddhist text, really, uh, but it was offered in a very secular way. Uh, the four foundations are uh, mindfulness of body, of feelings, of mind, and then of what's called mental formations, how our mind kind of puts together reality. Oh. <laughs> so, so it starts with rather you know, gross and gets subtle, subtler, and then very subtle. <laughs> yeah. Like that. It sounds yeah. like extremely sort of, you know, 
potentially sort of mind-bending kind of stuff towards the end, like how your brain constructs reality. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is. The, we didn't go quite that deep into it, but I've taken other programs and, and sat on retreats with teachers who do uh, really go into that fourth foundation of mindfulness in kind of a deep way. Uh, we touched on in the in the program that I was in the Engaged Mindfulness uh, Institute, we touched on what's called the five hindrances. And those are really the the very normal, natural conditions of the human mind that keep us from engaging in the present moment. So for example, desire, I'll just list the five hindrances while we're on the topic. Uh, there's desire, there's aversion, there's restlessness and worry, uh, what's known as sloth and torpor, which is this real dull, hazy, foggy mind. And there's doubt. And so these are the five qualities that all human beings share. We all have these, you know, into greater or lesser detail. Um, but they do, the problem with them is that they keep us from uh, living a happy, flourishing life. Mm. And so we work, we learn how to work with these five hindrances. And then ideally to be able to uh, facilitate to others uh, how they might be experiencing the hindrances and how might they work with them as well. Mm. So yeah, we spent about four months on that material. Uh, and then uh, including loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity, which I've been teaching now for 15 or 16 years. So and was, which we have also- That was kind of a repeat. And which we have also covered in our last episode, uh, Buddhism in Dark Times. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Gotta, yes. Gotta plug did. it. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And, and a great podcast that was, that I really enjoyed well, Thank you very one. much. Um, Mm, no, thank you. And uh, so that was kind of a repeat of material for me. But then in the second semester, we got into uh, a lot of trauma-informed work, uh, which also I've, I've studied quite a bit, but it was really nice to engage in, in that material in different ways, ways that I hadn't uh, engaged in before. Um, and then in the third semester, we went into uh, different ways and modalities of teaching, different teaching pedagogy uh, techniques and things like that. And I, I found that really helpful because although I have been teaching now for 13 years or so, I've never actually studied the art of teaching. Oh. And so, yeah, so that was, that was actually really quite helpful. And we, we set up practice groups where we would teach to each other and and critique each other and things like that i had never had any experience like that so i found that to be really really beneficial uh, to have you know other mindfulness teachers you know say see uh, say what they saw in my offering right and how i might uh, change things that might need changing and and the things that were also uh, positive uh, so that was really helpful oh, fantastic and that was the program yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's, that um, sounds great. That, it was yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that you. I'm glad that you enjoyed yourself. I'm glad you got a lot uh, out of it. Um, so, I, uh, one thing I noticed actually was, um, I I just can't help noticing. This is a thing I've noticed a lot in Buddhism. Actually, uh, if there's one thing that mm. Buddhists love, it's lists. They love the, yes. They love lists. They love the the five hindrances. The and actually, it's kind of. Uh, strange that we you know this is brought up because uh i originally wanted to call you to do a podcast about the eightfold path because you mentioned it in the last mm. podcast and i thought ah 
there's something else to get into. But um, I decided to change. I want to. I, I, well, number one, I looked into it. And I think we'd need eight episodes to go into to yes. go into it. Um, but at least <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you spend it's a, a lot of lists and a lot of time spent on each bit of that list. It's a it's a full time job true. Buddhism. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> But um, yeah. I, I, what made me want to change to the, the topic that we're doing today, uh, which is uh, the concepts of the self in Buddhism, was uh, a very strange experience I had um, while meditating. Um, so I'd, I'd had a few sort of strange sort of experiences during uh, earlier meditations, but this one was really quite powerful. I was in the garden because it was a lovely day. I just decided to just do it outside because... Uh, you know, when, when the weather's nice, happens so rarely in Britain. Um, so I was meditating and, and I, and this strange anxiety began to overtake me. And I was like, there's something wrong. I'm not, oh my God, I'm, I'm not me. There's, the, there's like a sort of, oh, I'm not, I'm, and, and it was sort of building, building. And it, it, I'd had, um, panic attacks relating to this kind of, uh, identity issues, before i'm thankfully over that now um but it was a very you know and, and it'd been building up and building up. i was like but it's like i'm not even i'm i'm not anything and then for the first time this is a very rare thing to happen to me uh there was absolutely nothing going on in my head for about five minutes which is probably the longest period of absolutely no thought i've had there's a song going through my head right now which is kind of shows how busy it usually is up there but for a while, I just had this sort of strange experience where I was like, oh, right, there's like, there's some trees and there's some birds and there's a body in the middle of it. And this is just where the camera happens to be put. Uh, this is just where the perspective seems to be. I could just as easily be the tree. I could just as easily be the bird. And it, I got this very strange sense. It was... It was I must say it wasn't the most pleasant experience. It was quite I had vertigo in a way. Um and after a while I I thought I I, I sort of said to myself I sort of asked the powers that be I was like can I come back down now? And so I I, I went back down and it took me a good couple of minutes to be like oh god who am I? Uh right okay um yes I'm Paul and I'm and it was such a, a strange and I came back with a lot of insights about uh personal issues which I'd needed addressed but the the experience of just feeling completely sort of blank really shook me um and I was just you know when 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 I do have these sorts of experiences my very first thought is I've got to do a podcast with Chris about this <laughs> <laughs> so i was wondering if you would mind explaining sort of some of the buddhist concepts of uh the self and no self um i can try <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a, a very complex uh topic mm. and um you know to explain it doesn't do its service actually because one really has to have the experience to to understand it and I'm sure the way you explained your experience um, might be as close as words can bring you to it, but probably pales in comparison to the actual being there moment. It was right? it was so bizarre because I'm uh, as I said I'm yeah. a writer and an actor, so I have a very strong sense of self. I have a very you know 
I, I have a not a not a brand that makes it sound a little bit sort of gross, but it, it's a very you know I have a very clear defined sort of feeling of me, and so that breaking down for just a moment was quite un un unsettling, but not necessarily bad. Yeah. Well, that's just it. And I think because probably because it happened on accident and it sounds like it was, you know, one of the first uh, or at least the first perhaps uh, real deep uh, connection with that experience of not self. Uh, and um, it can be jarring. Mm. Absolutely. You know, it can be like, whoa, what, what was that? You know, um, yeah. In my book, uh, Such Sweet Thunder, I talk about that, that experience and how for me, one of the first uh, openings into non-self, uh, it literally felt like the ground was shaking underneath me. Whoa. Uh, and then like everything fell out from under and I was just in free fall. And, and, and then um, the thing is, is that you just keep falling and you realize that there's no ground. So the only reason the fear is there is because you're afraid that you're going to hit the ground and it's going to hurt, right? But if you're in free fall without a ground underneath you, there's nothing to be afraid of. And so after some, you know, actual intentional meditations on non-self, I was able to kind of get control of that and to really feel into that and to allow. Uh, it is, I think, there's some intention of going into a meditation like that. And then there's a real sense of surrender, mm. you know, to, to, to open into it is really um, very helpful. Um, so, and you mentioned, you know, acting and artists. It's funny because there's a real clear uh, pointer to the experience of not-self uh, through Jonathan Keats, the poet. Oh. Uh, when he was talking about, he, uh, he wrote about William Shakespeare, actually in a letter to his brother. Uh, he said, uh, William Shakespeare is the least egotist that is humanly possible and then he had uh the capacity of what jonathan keats called a uh, negative capability where you're able to according this is how john keats defined negative capability to be able to be in an unpleasant situation or no it was unpleasant and ambiguous situation without any irritable reaching or grasping hmm. to be in an unpleasant or adverse situation without any irritable reaching or grasping now it's worth noting that back in the time of jonathan keats and william shakespeare in england the word irritable meant reactivity reaction as if as if a, a, a doctor put a hammer to your knee and the, that kick up would have been an irritable reaction. Right. So, so, you know, negative capability then is like the ability to be in uncomfort or in an uncomfortable situation without reactivity. Right. And that's an experience of not self, of this experience of um, just, uh, because it is the self that brings us to a reactive pattern, right? It's a defense mechanism by the ego to protect itself. Yes. Uh, so I, I suppose I, I'm, I suppose what I'm trying to 
I was going to say reach towards, but that's I've already we've already described that's not the right word to you. But what I'm, try, I'm trying to get towards is like it, it's it's just quite a you know especially for Western minds it's an extremely strange like idea to grasp. So, like, hang on a minute. So I'm not me. I'm not a. I, I'm not me. What 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 is it then? What what? Well. It's a, yeah, it's true. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult concept. So in, I think it, it helps to first, let's say that, okay, according to the teachings of the Buddha, um, it's not that we don't exist, right? Not self isn't saying that we just, uh, that, there, that this is all an, an illusion. O often we kind of get that, but that's not exactly what's, what's there in the teachings. So, because the Buddha actually would talk about self and how, you know, there's a very famous and often quoted passage in the, the early text, um, just as a farmer irrigates a field, just as an aerosmith fashions an arrow, just as a wood turner fashions a piece of wood, so the wise one tames their self or shapes their self, depending on the translation. And so clearly then there must be a self. Right. But the 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 confusion is around, well, what is the self? Because, you know, we we habitually experience the self as being this fixed, permanent me. Right. Yeah. This fixed, solid entity looking out behind these eyes and experiencing a world out there. And the Buddha said that's an illusion that 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 doesn't make that's not right. It's not correct way to see reality. In reality, at least according to these teachings on non-self, is that there is a there is a something called a self, but it's a fluid, ever-changing, transient experience. Ah, right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. I was going to say, because that would have been absolutely terrifying if I just flat out didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of, and, and you, you know, there were teachings given in the 12th century around, around not-self uh, from a Tibetan master uh, who teaching uh, monastics who had never encountered teachings on not-self. And they all started vomiting <laughs> and getting violently ill. Because they couldn't, because exactly that, they, they started to, to misinterpret the teachings. They went, they went the other direction too far. Right. Right. It, it is really about finding that the middle ground. It's not that we exist as a permanent, solid, fixed entity. It's not that we don't exist at all. It's somewhere in between there. Nice. So There's this middle territory in between it is and it is not. If I might try and try sort of translate that, it's like... We if if we were all I suppose I suppose that makes sense because if we were all sort of solid fixed things, I mean we we would still be babies. We would still be thinking exactly <laughs> yeah. like chill. We, you know, even in the way that we well, we'd be we'd be single cell and yeah. Oh we'd, my god, yeah. We'd be we wouldn't even exist. You know, how far back do you want to go? You're telling me that I'm you not know, a if... single cell amoeba. You're telling me that I can't just lay out there and photosynthesize with the rest of my kind and split another self off the side? Come on, Chris. Well, well see, even that is, is, is impermanence. It's change. It's fluid. It's, it's shifting. 
And, the, and that's the whole, the teachings. Here's where the teachings on no self or not self and impermanence connect. Right. Because if, imp if impermanence, if everything really is ever-changing and fluid and in a state of flux, uh, then it goes to follow that this experience of me, of I, is also a part of that ever-changing field. I see, I see. And so, uh, yeah, and, and I suppose... It reminds me in a way of what Albert Einstein was saying when he was talking about time as a fourth dimension. He said that if we were to, I think, I, well, I'm not sure if it was him or someone who's following him. I, I'm not very good at scientific quotations. I got a C uh, in science. But <laughs> it's, it, if we were to view ourselves sort of objectively in the four, you know, outside of the, the fourth dimension, we would essentially, uh, we would not look like this, you know, with our bodies and that. We would look like these long strings of, of, of us, like spaghetti that would start, you know, infinite segments of like a baby, a second older baby, a second older baby, up and up and up and growing and growing yeah. and out and out and out, branching across in all these mm. different directions, mixing in with other ones. And right so so the i so i suppose yeah i'm just going to try and bring this to a to a sort of a more stable idea so the buddha taught that just as everything else is always changing just as uh, just as you know the world is a sort of perpetual fluid motion we are also part of that motion yes exactly exactly wow yeah that's exactly what my not to set up not to plug myself or anything but my second book is all about that. oh uh, it's, it's called a voice from the ever change and and the whole book is is is, is pointing at that experience right uh of impermanence and not self yeah so i suppose my question is in that case what what was it that i experienced what was it that uh, those that you know all those teachers experienced because that was a little bit less than it was a little you know if if it was just um if it was just that we're always changing well all right you know i can i can track in my mind that i woke up a little bit different than i ended the day you know i'm or you know the person that the person that started this podcast is not the same person that's talking right now but to to experience sort of a nothingness of, of 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 all sort of sense of self, you know, ego disillusion in a way. What what's how does that play in? Yeah, it's a great question, and you know, it sounds to me that sounds, and this is very connected to not self. It sounds like an experience of emptiness, um, where uh, you know the the form and the formless kind of gets ambiguous <laughs> the, the line between form and formless you know where um because of this ever-changing field uh you know there's the line between uh myself this body and and the environment around me it, it's it's actually fluid it's not it's not a, a fixed it's not the way we experience it the human nervous system evolutionary scientists have, have claimed and i tend to believe this that the line between my hand for example and the atmosphere is changing it's fluid it's not not a fixed line and this would go to albert einstein too e equals mc squared right the energetic fluidity of this experience 
And to me, it sounds like perhaps you are having some of that kind of emptiness quality that, that okay, you're in the, in, it sounds like perhaps you connected with the present moment in such a way that uh, you were able to let all of that go, to let the concept of yourself go, to let the concept of inside and outside go. And to, to really just, particularly when you said, you know, I could just as easily be the bird mm. or the tree. You know, that to me is a real clear indicator that there's a, a, this experience of no inside, no outside. There's just an awareness of experience arising. Mm. Yeah. So it's almost like we're just, we're almost, it's all, it, this is actually, a, it's played into a sort of feelings I've had before. Or sort of intuitions it's it's like you know when you think about it you're never not you're never separated from the rest of the world i mean i'm sitting you know right now there is me but also there is you know i am connected to the chair and my feet are connected to the ground and the ground is connected to the rest of the earth and there's air touching my skin and actually there is as you say there's no inside there's no outside it's it's like you know we're a, a singular organism, and I'm just a very I'm a very uppity blood cell. I'm a very a very aware blood cell. Yeah, yeah, that's a I think that's a, a very uh, accurate way to put that, the experience of that, and 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 the benefit is that you know because you know I'll, sometimes I give teachings on this, and the people are like, well, why bother with all of that? I was going to ask know, that exact question gonna... actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah, how, how does this help me in my day-to-day -day experience? And, you know, we, we, we touch into this, we tap into it, either through meditation or as you did on accident sometimes. We, we bump into this reality. And then we, we you know, as you said, you, we bring insights back with us that perhaps um, inform our, our conversations with others, our relationships with others. I think, you know, Perhaps it informs our relationship with ourself. You know, we might take ourselves less seriously. Mm. Uh, we're less attached to the outcome of certain endeavors because we see that there's a much, much larger uh, scheme at work than uh, whether I get the promotion, for example, or whether I complete the, the next task or I buy the groceries or whatever. There's a much, much, much larger uh, plot line that includes, as you said, includes everybody, includes everything, includes the entire universe. And as you said, we're just this kind of speck of dust in the middle of that, or a, blood, a conscious blood cell <laughs> on the, on the you know, periphery of this you know, ever conscious, ever aware, ever expanding universe. And so, so when we have an experience like that, that, that it's so, um, at least in my experience, it's so humbling, mm. right? It's, it's really very, very challenging to come away from an experience like that and be an egotist or be a narcissist. Yeah, now that... Right? It's, it's, yeah. It, they, they, they don't go... They can't really coexist. It's, it's, a, so, it's an extremely um, sort of, you know... I do... I, I, I think it's... I do have a, a bit of a sort of... I don't want to say self-important, but I, I feel I do have a little bit, you know, in my head of just like, well, you know... I'm I'm the I'm the middle of it really, um, which you know it's and it's 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 not something I'm 
but you know if you're an actor you there is an element of you know or if you're a writer i mean it does take a certain amount of arrogance to think well what i have to say has never been said before and everyone should read it but it's it's something that i i like to try and keep you know ta uh what's the word sort of under control you know sort of uh in its bot in its place um and it's an extremely, yeah, uh, sorry, but yeah, it was an extremely sort of strange experience of just like, I, I might never come down from this. I might, you know, it was sort of that moment. I've never, I've never done uh, psychedelics or anything, but I have been told there is a kind of experience of like, I'm going to be like this forever. I'm just going <laughs> to, this is my life now. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, 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 yeah. And, and as I was saying before, when we get some dexterity or control over, over moving into states like that, uh, we, we, that fear tends to, to dissipate mm. quite naturally. And, you know, to come back to your, your point about, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's beautiful to create things, uh, and, you know, to create art, to create uh, literature, uh, whatever it is that we're endeavoring to create. I think that's um, a very natural and wholesome aspect of the human experience. We humans were born to create things. I mean, look at the world we live in. It's, it's, you know, it's full of human creation. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that per se, you know, that, that drive to create, um, you know, in a sense, we're wired to feel that we are the center of the universe because we had to be wired that way in order to get our genes into the next generation. It's very, very right. hard to, you know, survive a wild lion attack if you think, ah, you know, that lion, it's part yeah. of me, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. We would have never made it had the caveman 200,000 years ago we're having these experiences of not self yeah. or this oneness with nature, right? Or even the idea that, oh, that person deserves to eat just as much as I do. Now that goes against the total grain of, of natural selection. You know, natural selection wants us to feel that I am the most important and I deserve to get that stake more than the next person, you know? And that's the, the people who were really strong in that were the people who got their genes into the next generation. And so that's why we're still wired that way, because it was successful. Mm. It was a successful evolutionary tactic. And we see this now, you know, if you're, I don't know if, about where you live, but, um, you know, in New York City, uh, if it was raining outside and, you know, I ran outside to catch a taxi and there was somebody down the street trying to hail a taxi, I would put my hand up much higher. Right, because I was needed to get that taxi before I got soaked. Right, even though that person might have been a surgeon on his way to save someone's life, um, I still felt that urge to, you know, self-preservation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's normal. I think it's natural. I think I don't think we need to to berate ourselves if we if we have those tendencies. And at the same time, we can work to change that. Yes. Yes, it's we just because we're wired that way doesn't mean it's it's a it's a life sentence. Yeah. Oh, that's a great that's a great line. I love that. 
That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I'll say, uh, you know, people, I think people really, what you were saying, like people clinging, it's about narcissists clinging to that sort of, you know, I very much, you know, you can see that a lot of the time in, uh, you know, I mean, all sorts of spheres, the political sphere, a lot, yeah. uh, but it also yes. in personal <laughs> spheres, there's a very, we very much become, you know, we're very much hung up on the, um, on the individual mindset um, because it, you know, it was, it was helpful at, at some points, but it's, how would I say it? It feels like, um, ah, oh, this is where, sorry, this is where the, the unusual, uh, br <laughs> British heat is slowing my brain a little bit. Um, another example of the impermanence and constant change of all things. But yeah, it it does. Do you know what it feels? It just feels like that. It's one of the the teachings of the Buddha that you know that are very. It's probably the hardest, one of the hardest ones to to really internalize. But uh, I think when you do, it's it's very it's very beautiful. Yeah, the teachings of impermanence and non-self are, um, yeah, very beautiful, as you said, mm. perfectly put, and. Um, yeah, you know, just the fact that you and I can sit here and have this conversation um, shows that, uh, you know, people are waking up. Yeah. Not just you and I, but, but you know, I think, you know, <laughs> obviously not just you and I, but, but there is this mass movement of, oh, wait, there's another way. Yeah. We don't have to be self-absorbed. Yeah. You know? And... Yeah. And I think I think you can find it. Now, this is one thing I've I've often sort of thought about because it feels to me that you know na the natural world has more or less got this in the bag, you know? Cuz cuz I look I was going through a walk. I was doing my meditation outdoors actually again to, today in the, in the local park. And I was walking around and I was seeing sort of the dragonflies doing their little dancing. I was seeing the birds swooping by and I just thought, none of these guys are hung up on, you know, whether they're going to get the promotion, whether they're going to, you know, whether, I mean, or, or even if they're going to eat the, the berries, you know, it felt like I, I got the sense with the, some of the other birds, obviously they would very much like the berries and they don't want, you know, other birds getting near their berries but at the end of the day they're not they're not caught up in it in the same way that that we are and I, and I suppose it made me think that you know another part of sort of human identity building is we sort of stick these we, we've got like our na our natural sense of I we've got our natural sort of I'm going to say our, our sort of divine spark the the thing that makes us us you know for me, it's the thing that makes me want to create and perform. For you, it's the thing that makes you want to teach uh, meditation and help people. Um, and uh, we got that. But then we've got all this other stuff that we've bolted on top of it. And and actually, uh, this is right. Okay, I could have structured this better. But again, hot brain. But uh, it actually, when I came down from my non-self experience with my emptiness experience... Uh, I had a revelation that basically a lot of my personal quirks and neuroses were kind of built on stuff that happened to me in school. Um, with, you know, bad experiences I'd had in school. And it feels like we've got our, our divine, perfect sort of, you know, our self. And then all the stuff we rivet and bolt onto it, which we mix up with the thing itself. 
Absolutely. I, yes, absolutely right. I, you know, um, it's my understanding, and, I, and I, I, this is definitely a point of view that I, I agree with from the Buddhist tradition that, um, you know, the human, human being, when we're born, we're born uh, one quarter of loving kindness, one quarter of compassion, one quarter of equanimity, and one quarter of joy. And, you know, it's challenging to recognize that because, yes, as soon as we start to move about our life, how we get bumps and bruises and, you know, whatever it is, we start to encounter life. And uh, we're in such a pure kind of state. Uh, and, you know, we, we internalize those bumps and bruises. Mm -hmm. And so, and because the human being is wired in such a way that we learn very quickly from negative experiences, from painful experiences, we learn much faster from painful experiences than we do from positive experiences. And so we start to internalize, oh, I can't do that, won't do that, can't look at that person that way, can't smile when that person's around, uh, you know, whatever it is, we start to build these natural defenses, uh, which is totally intelligent. It's, a, it's how the human being survives. And again, at the same time, it's not determinative. You know, as soon as we start to have insights like that, uh, that's a real, real entry point into... Uh, letting go of all of that mm. you know yeah and, yeah yeah and i tell you that when you were talking about emptiness um because i think it's a linguistic problem perhaps with the the way that this stuff's been translated into the west because especially i've been reading some taoist works uh lately which i think you know i, I love taoism it's really you know i feel it uh internally no offense uh <laughs> but that um uh, but i i found that you know there's when they talk about emptiness, there's a kind of, uh, you know, it, to, to a Western ear, again, one particularly hung up on these sort of constructions of the, the self. It sounds a little bit like, oh, no, I've just torn out everything and I'm a, you know, zombified contain container of absolutely nothing. Whereas the actual sort of feeling is more like, and, I, and I've really, I've, this is something I've genuinely, I've felt a lot of times. It's more like, no, you were full of garbage and you've got to get that out of here. It's, you know, all this sort of this. It feels like a sort of um, I use an analogy of just like if you don't if you don't process something, it just stacks up and stacks up inside you until it eventually compresses down and becomes like this sludge, this biodegraded, oily substance that clogs that clogs up your system. And when you get it out of you, you feel, you know, and, and again, this is where you you identify with that. There are people, you know, who who very much I, I knew a person once who, you know, almost counted their lives by the amount of slights against them. That was how they measured who they were. Um, and it was just, you know, and it just feels it's such an exhausting way to live. It's such a, you know, and you, you don't get much done in that way. And when it's out of you you know, what a, what a relief. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I agree. And, and I think, yes, I think you're right. The Taoists do really, really speak to that in a powerful way. Um, you know, I, I, I like your analogy. It's very, uh, kind of playful and, 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 um, uh, very visually uh, rich. Um, I hesitate to make the, 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 the wounding and the bruises though, um, 
or at least the defenses that we create around that. Um, I don't want to, I wouldn't make them sound uh, like they're bad. Oh, really? You know, be, yeah, yeah, actually they're extremely intelligent that we, we've, that we're able to do that because that it's, a, it's how we survive. Yeah. You know, if we encountered something painful and we didn't have that memory, we, we'd go do it again. I mean, it's the child putting their hand on the burner, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we would just continue to do things that uh, brought us into very painful situations. So it's important to, to I think, um, to really honor that, that tendency of, of the sludge, of, of, of being able to create that because it's a protective, if you, you know, to follow that analogy, it might be a protective coat, Ooh. you know, but, but the, the, uh, the thing is, is that, that very, very often, most often, uh, that's, you know, because that wounding happened so long ago and we still have these protections in place. Yeah. Oh. So, so they're, they're, right? It's outdated. We don't need that anymore. And in fact, those protections, you know, as much as they help us keep the painful out, they also keep the beautiful out. Wow. They also keep they keep the pain out, but they also keep the pleasure out. Yeah. And equally, they keep us from allowing our beauty to shine. You know, the the wall works it works in many ways. It's not just that it keeps the painful out. The wall works. So so when we can start to let that go, <laughs> um, yes, there's a tremendous benefit in that. Life becomes a lot more rich and colorful and beautiful and joyful and more painful mm. you know you know because because our, now our defenses are starting to come down we do we do actually feel the pain in a much deeper way but it doesn't it doesn't bother us as much anymore yeah yeah i tell you i um i have to say i i really i i i jive with that analogy um because because uh well for example I, i'm comparing how I, you know, I, I went back through my old journals um, from when I was like, you know, before I started doing meditation, before I was, you know, getting into all that sort of stuff. And, you know, all my musings on like the news uh, and that. And it would be it for me, it was this sort of n this numb or, or just not 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 even numb, but this sort of dark, heavy feeling of, yeah, we're all going to die yeah no it's all screwed and it's this sort of real deep you know this deep thing that that just and it and it wasn't and then and then sometimes i would be sort of apart from it all feeling like you know i, I don't know if you if you've ever read the comic book watchman but feeling a bit like um oh there's a character in it called dr manhattan who's basically a god uh because of this sort of science experiment and he says you know there's no difference, structurally speaking, between a living person and a dead person. It's all the same, really. You know, that's sort of like so detached from things, so uh, far apart. And then and then sometimes it would all suddenly hit me and I'd be like, oh, God, no! Ah! Like, you know, just all, all attacking at once. It's this horrible, violent oscillation. But then, but then it would all, but it, no matter what, it would all still be trapped up and pinging around and it would just, you know bruise on bruise on bruise uh and not a productive kind um and but then 
post meditation, I mean, my most recent podcast was a solo episode that I did because I just felt like I had to comment on the situation in Ukraine, and I got very emotional about it. I got very, and it it really it it hurt. But there's a kind of there's a kind of redemptive quality in the 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 hurting, you know, because it's Absolutely. it's like there's a very real sense of like their pain is my pain and the pain of the world is part of me and when it gets to that point it feels like you just want to throw open your arms and just love everyone because you know the poor sad silly lot <laughs> <laughs> well uh, what you're pointing at is 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 you know the deep 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 uh beauty of compassion mm. You know, where where that that brings us together through our suffering. You know that we recognize. You know we know what it feels like to suffer, and so when we see other people suffering, and we're like, oh man, I know what that feels like. You know, let me help. Let me do something. Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, that's beautiful. And you're right; it can be quite painful, but at the same time, it's also. It is what what connects us as human beings. Mm. You know, it, it's it it. it it's beautiful in its sense of belonging. Yes, absolutely, and that's that's really sorry. That really that really one ping ping me. But that that because I I feel I feel increasingly. I mean, maybe maybe it's just as I'm getting older. I mean, you know, I'm entering the quarter life crisis. I'm entering the, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm in the ripe old age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm ent but I'm entering sort of you know where it feels like my life's just kind of starting um now and it just it's like i just i want to be part of the world i want to be with people i want to just enmesh myself in others um i don't want to just keep thinking about myself all the time i th you know all right i, I get the point i get the, <laughs> i get the gist <laughs> you know I've gone, yeah. I've gone through my journals after a while I've just realized I've kind of run out of stuff to say. It's like, yep, all right, I get it. I want to be, I want to go out now. I want to, you know, uh, just become part of the world. Mm. And so that's such a beautiful drive, you know, uh, mm. yeah, the drive towards community and belonging and friendship and connection and all of that, that, that is so fundamental to the human experience, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It feels like, right? it feels like that sort of, um, it's, my, it's kind of the way forward for the for the whole world. You, you know, yeah, I hope you're right, you know. Uh, yeah, I'd like to think so. I mean, you know, the, all of the scientists that I study and, and read and, and uh, all of the, the teachers that I follow all would tend to agree with that, you know, that that, um, that is the way of the world, that if we're going to survive as a species, that more and more now we're needing each other as a world, as a global community. That, um, that uh, how else are we gonna solve the climate crisis? How else are we gonna, you know, solve the situation in Ukraine, you know? Mm. Or, or the global economy uh, now that's really, you know, taking a, a tailspin. I mean, there's no more, it's, you know, gone are the days where we can drop the borders of countries and say, this is their problem and this is my problem doesn't exist anymore. absolutely i mean we I, I i think it feels like it feels like the old way if you were if you were to imagine a sort of cliff face 
like just wave upon wave has been hitting it lately you know it, it the 1960s was a wave you know then the, the 1990s was a wave but it feels more like it's literally three waves a year for the last sort of four years um i don't know i i think there is a I, there is a, a a trend i think um of people feeling sort of apocalyptic you know there's this sort of you know there is a, a, a sense of well it's all gonna it's, it's all ruined too late we're too late we're done but i just i feel like that's it almost feels like that's just the last defense mechanism that we can put up because i remember hearing in the iccp report which was you know i didn't read much i didn't read much of it because it wasn't the most fun read but it was it said <laughs> if we do absolutely nothing from here on out we're heading for about two degrees of warming which is bad awful really not good at all but it's not apocalyptic i mean it doesn't help it doesn't help other types of potential apocalypses from not happening but on its own actually we if all other things you know not withstanding we're likely to have we, we actually do have a future the question is what kind of future do we want to have right 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 sure sure yeah you're right and you know i think it you know hopefully you know because there is the potential of a tremendous amount of suffering mm. So how much suffering do we have to encounter before we do come together as a species? Yeah. You know, before we all feel this drive of compassion, uh, you know, and, and surrender our, our self-cherishing. Yeah. And I, right. I, I know, um, sorry, I, I know, I remember listening to um, Connor Habib, he's a sort of Christian um, uh, occultist. And he was saying, we are going to get it right but it's either we get it right by 2033 or we have a thousand years of suffering and then get it right. Which would you rather mm -hmm. have? Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully it's not that black or white. I tend to think it's not, but, but um, I'm not a scientist, you know, I, I haven't done the research on that. And the, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why these teachings of, of not self and, and impermanence are, are so important is because as you experienced, you know, your, your kind of trip into not self there um, feels like dying. Yeah. You know, it has this very, very fearful, very, you know, there's a lot of fear there and, and you're let, it's like, what is this? You know, and I think that experience of, of letting go of ourself, who we think we are, uh, feels like a death for many people. But it's that death that's, you know, required other, you know, to circumvent the, uh, the actual death. <laughs> yeah. Right. So we're, we're afraid of the death of the ego. And because of the death of the ego is so scary for us that we're heading straight into doom. Yeah. To, to real death. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're. You know, I'm kind of grazing the surface on this now, but for, for a deeper dive into that concept, I could really recommend Ken Wilber's book, Up From Eden, where he, he really um, pulls that apart in a very, very deep and profound way. Um, yeah, how, the, how the fear of the death of the ego is, is 
has created everything that we see in front of us for better or for worse. Yeah. And it's, it could go in a very dark way if we don't, if we don't uh, embrace that fear of, of the death of the ego and really move into that. Mm. I'll tell you what, I, um, I mean, I always tend to lean on the more hopeful side of things because I've tried the other sort. I've tried leaning on the uh, very <laughs> doom-laden side of things. It's not a good way to live. I don't recommend it. It's not that much not, fun. Not yeah. good. <laughs> it's not good fun. Um, yeah. You don't get anything done. But but I found that, <laughs> you know, the, the more I kept thinking about it, and especially I think I, I talked about it with you the very first time we, we met uh, on, the, on the cruise ship. Um, it feels to me that sort of history has just been a series of i've talked about this a lot on my podcast before it's a, a long string of sort of chain reactions um just going through the whole of human history and these sort of you know these sort of negative cycles negative react negative domino chains so you know you go back to the beginning of time and when we were sort of you know terrified apes sort of sitting you know waiting for the tigers to rip us to shreds and you know probably one of us was trying to get out and you know well no i can beat it and then the other one you know the parent perhaps so terrified uh, or you know of just killing everyone just like no shut up and that one and then that that slap has just been reverberating across history and it's been you know it, it's gotten more sophisticated it's gotten bigger um over time so you know now you know the slap uh, of a hand has become you know the the detonation of an atom bomb you know in the 1950s um but you know the on the other hand i i know just from my own experience and that of my family history that you know those those chains have been breaking over time and you know you can i mean i think you could just look at it you know you can look at it just just sort of um just in recent history, you know, I mean, I think of, you know, just one one topic, for instance, you know, um, trans trans liberation. Go back five years. Who was who was I mean, people were talking about it, obviously, but it hadn't permeated into the mainstream. And I see I see people, you know, the these chain reactions, both good and bad, seem to be funneling into a sort of an infinitely smaller and smaller point where these are you know these are no longer unconnected problems you know the human rights issue is the environmental issue is the workers rights issue is the in its and it it just feels like it's boiling down to a singular question hmm so i think that's a very astute point i think you're right i think it, i think you know we we tend to get um, perhaps caught up in the details, mm. uh, and you know we forget that. You know I'm going to sound like a total hippie, but we we lose track of of love, we lose track of joy and compassion, and 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 we we get hung up in you know whose love, or or, or why are they joyful and not me, mm. right? Or or you know they deserve to be suffering, you know, more than I do, or, or what good is it going to do if I'm compassionate to them because I don't know them? You know, we, we get caught up in this self-serving story uh, rather than uh, 
finding our place in the whole. And I think that is the question that, that needs addressing. You know, how do we find our place in the whole? I mean, H-O-L-E, W-H-O-L-E, the whole, the wholeness, right? Where, where do we find ourselves in that wholeness of the universe, of, of the human experience? And how can we serve that? Yeah. You know, that's the real question, whether it's human rights or, or uh, the global climate uh, predicament or government, uh, you know, uh, imbalance and corruption. All of those problems stem from us losing our place in that wholeness. Yeah. You know, we, we, again, it comes back to that self-cherishing, that self-importance that, that um, you know, people get so hung up on. Uh, and it's just, it is, it goes back to that fear, you know, it's, it's, of course I'm like this because how else am I going to afford my house or how else am I going to pay for my car? Or how else am I going to feed my children? You know, it, but it's just, it's just, somebody's got to take the first step, <laughs> you know, and it might as well be me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, it, and that's it, you know, um, and I, yeah, and, and, and other people will follow. Other people will follow, and, and, and it, it's just yeah that I think that's the question that that needs to be addressed. I suppose if there's infinite sort of strains of the problem, if there's infinite sort of strains, there are also infinite solutions. You know, you can because I mean I I play these podcasts to my dad um, a, a lot of the time. And he is not a spiritual person at all. Uh, and he's very sort of sceptical. Uh, I would say cynical, but he would say, no, I'm just realistic. But um, <laughs> but, but I can just hear his voice now preemptively going, all right, well, what do you do about it then? And I don't, I mean, for me, it's, it's just, you, do, you know you yourself know when you when you embrace that you know if you if you if you really like step into that space then the answer becomes very apparent and it need not be you know i, I don't think anyone's going to say you know right well what we'll do is all of us will meet in times square at six o'clock and <laughs> demand global peace although that would be kind of amazing but it's that that's probably not, you know, I think it, it. Yeah, you're right. It's It's got to be one step at a time. And I, and I think it starts with, you know, random acts of kindness, mm -hmm. uh, you know, compliment, you know, holding the door open for someone, smiling at someone, you know, showing someone the beauty of a sunset or a flower, um, buying someone a cup of coffee if you can afford it. You know, it's it, it's the small, small, small things. Because because you know, that can can again it, that can start an, a chain reaction all its own. Yeah, the butterfly effect. Yeah. You know, and and but it, it just yeah, I, and I think that's you know where it starts. You know, and because that you know you can't vote against that. You know, it's not going to get put up in the government as, as on a vote. It's, there's no bureaucracy around it, you know. And so we take the power away from the people who don't want change, right? And we, we, we you know, bring it back to the people and, and do what we can do. Yeah. Sing songs of hope, sing songs of peace, you know. Mm. Um, I, and I feel... All of that, 
Yeah, I feel that. I feel that very strong because you know, I mean, personally for me, it looks like I mean, doing all that stuff as well because I think you can, you can, you know, I, I think everyone's here for a specific point. You know, the universe has not wasted any atoms. It's not going to waste atoms on someone who's going to die and then it's like, well, I don't know what that one was all about. It just, he was just sort of <laughs> didn't do anything. Um, but you know that that there are no appendix of people. Um, every bit is is vital, uh, and so you know your it could be that you know your purpose here is literally just to be a good friend for someone. Your purpose here is to raise a healthy family that's not built on coercion or abuse, like you know just to break a chain a cycle of abuse. That's that is work in and of itself. It could be to vote. It could be to run for political office. It could be. You know, in my case, I feel like increasingly I just I just want to I want to make art. I want to write books. I want to, you know, do all that stuff because that's just what I overwhelmingly I I was born doing that. I was I never was not doing that. So it feels sort of so natural to, to be going along that way. And, it, and, and in the media sphere, you know, we all our stories are sort of. I feel nowadays all our stories are, I might be going off on a tangent here, but it feels like all our stories are sort of deconstructions or critiques of, you know, this thing's wrong with society and this thing's wrong with society and this thing. And or, yeah, good. I mean, it, that should definitely, you know, we should have more of that. But also, I feel like we just, I, I, want, a, I want things that, you know, show people not just what's wrong with life, but how to embrace life and how to, you know, how to end these kinds of, you know, these kinds of things, mm -hmm. how to end those pains. Yeah, I, yeah. I, part, one of my principal teachings that I offer in all of the courses that I offer is uh, a teaching on transforming despair into kindness. Mm. And it's very simple, you know, just, you know, if you're ever, you know, watching the news or you're out, you know, wandering uh, or you're out at the grocery store, wherever you are about your day, I usually do this watching the news, and I think that makes a really good practice because the news often brings up despair, I think, for many people, uh, myself included. And then whenever I notice the energy of despair coming, I turn around and do something kind. Wow. Because kindness and despair can't coexist. And, and and it takes the, it literally takes the energy of despair and transforms it into something positive, and yeah, um, yeah because I you, think that you... that's a real powerful practice that can really transform the world. Yeah, because you can't say yeah. there's nothing we can do when you've literally just done something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if it's something simple, like I was saying, get, complimenting someone or, or buying someone a cup of coffee or, or anything anything positive mm. one of my favorites lately is sending someone an email that i haven't talked to in a few years and telling them how much they mean to me that's fantastic you know something like that yeah they, they, and i often get an email back saying thank you so much i've been thinking about you recently how are you and, mm. you know things like that so so anything anything out of kindness from the heart uh, whenever you feel despair it's um such a powerful practice yeah and, and people will say obviously well oh yeah yeah all right fine i'll i'll go send an email to someone i love yeah because that's really gonna save the burgeoning financial crisis yeah that's really gonna do it me 
need to do Nothing is send a, a lovely email to to the world powers really? and <laughs> no. well you know i yes. think it helps to it helps to send an email like that on ears that will receive it yeah i mean they're, know, they're so, just you know there's and, a and you know compassion and and love you know even if they don't produce immediate political results which i mean that's a kind of insane that would be an insane way to look at sending love to someone like i'm going to tell my mother i love them because i hope that it will uh, affect the dow jones <laughs> right or even even i'm gonna tell them i love them because i want chocolate chip cookies you know yeah. uh it's not real kindness if there's a quid pro quo no but but just yeah. love and compassion yeah. are, are qualities worth cultivating just in and of themselves regardless Absolutely. of the outcome just because they feel good yeah i mean you, you know <laughs> anyone thinks and anyone who thinks that it hasn't affect you know that it wouldn't affect the person's life i mean how does it feel to receive something like that yourself it, it some exactly. days some days it can i i have genuinely you know, I've had people deliver a single sentence to me that's completely changed the shape of my life, you know, and, and my and the course that I've taken. So never doubt that it's, you know, we are that powerful when yeah. we're stepping into that, that field and just doing what the, the spirit commands, if you will. <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> well, that yeah. feels like a lovely way to end it. Um... <laughs> Yeah, if you don't mind, um, while we're here, I do have a couple of programs coming up. If I might uh, set up my lemonade stand here and, and plug that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, and because I did mention a couple of a couple of practices that I'll be offering, one will be both of these courses will have that quality or that practice in it, where we uh, experience despair and transform that into kindness. So the first program I'll, I'll announce. There's two running at the same time. Uh, the first one is called Heartfelt Awareness, which is an eight-week online program in mindfulness. And so the reason why I call it heart, Heartfelt Awareness is because the word for mind in Sanskrit and Pali uh, is the same word for heart. And so in this eight-week course, we're going to be looking more at what it feels like in the body uh, when we put our heart in the present moment. So it is. It is has a lot of compassion uh, practices in the course, and a lot of love and kindness as well. And that will launch on July twenty sixth and run to September seventeenth. This, this is all East Coast of America time. I'm going to give the dates and times. Uh, so Tuesdays uh, from eight p.m. to ten p.m. and Fridays from eight p.m. to ten p.m. So we meet twice a week. That's uh, section one. Then section two is for perhaps more people who might be listening to your podcast, the people in Europe. Uh, that's Wednesdays, and this is in France, uh, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. to 12 noon, and Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 noon. All of the information about the retreat is on my website, which is uh, www.suchsweetthunder.org. And I'll give the second uh, retreat here. The second retreat that I'm running, which runs consecutively side by side, just on different days, is Equanimity. It's called Equanimity, the Clear Seeing Heart. Uh, this is also an eight-week program. Uh, we'll be meeting 
East Coast time, uh, Wednesdays and Sundays, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., which equals uh, Thursdays and Mondays in France or Europe, uh, 10 a.m. to 12 noon. Uh, both programs are only cost $99 for the whole eight-week program. It includes unlimited one-on-one uh, -on -one sessions with me if you find that helpful, supportive. All of It's a whole package deal. Um, you can do all of it in your own pace by watching the videos, or you could go to some of the live sessions or all of the live sessions. Uh, the live sessions are great because it, it actually there is quite a community of meditators forming around these, these courses. Uh, so if you feel like you'd like to join a community of meditators, uh, I, I could really highly recommend this. Um, these courses, they're a great experience for that. And again, if you'd like to find out more about those courses, it's all on my website, suchsweetthunder.org. Thanks, Paul, for allowing me to, to, to announce those. No worries at all. And I'd like to just remind the viewers that it is, it is .org, not .com. That's a, it's a very distinct line because otherwise you get taken to an entirely unrelated site. Uh, so, <laughs> That's thank, right. so yeah. thank, thank you, Chris, once more for appearing. Um, just, yeah, I did not expect the podcast to be going in that direction, but I'm very glad that it did. Um, yeah. What a, what a way. covered a lot of ground. Yeah, what a <laughs> yeah, way to finish. Yeah. Great stuff. Mm. Well, uh, thank you very much. Bye.